Alrighty, now, I don't know if everybody's here that I want to be praying for. Mm, not Okay, but there is at least one. Okay, several of our, sorry, I'm just sorting, looking at the flock. Many are missing. Okay, um, several of our families in our church are going through training to foster and adopt. And uh, a couple of our families are going to actually be uh, most likely, you know how that is, actually and then most likely and then we'll see, uh, receiving kids next week. And so um, we want to pray for these families that are under training and opening their homes to that um, but I don't see them. So, yeah. Okay, well, if you've been going through the training and you want to get some prayer, stand up. Because I, I thought, well, next week, that's important. There you go. So we're going to pray for them anyway. Where's Bob? Bobster, come up here. There you are. Bob is partnering as a parent with the Holy Spirit. He's a single man, and it looks very possible that uh, as of next week he may have two kids. So, you know, I had five, but I had them one at a time. (laughs) So you are a courageous man. So we are happy. So uh, would you extend your hands? And also there are other families, but as they come and they're here and we know it's happening, we'll bring them forward. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for the mantle of parenting that you give to us. Because you call us to care for the orphaned. And how can we do that unless you are going to do it through us? So, Holy Spirit, we ask for your empowering presence to come upon Bob to parent um, the little ones that you bring to him. Father, that your angels would be at watch when he's tired and he's taking a nap. Or he should be sleeping and something's going on, Lord. I pray for your angels to wake him up and to show him, Father, what he needs to see so that he can be there to bring healing and blessing to these little ones that come to his home. Father, we pray for your hedge of protection from demonic activity that may um, be present as he opens his home. And, Father, that no weapon formed against those kids or against Bob, Father, would prosper, but they would fall to the ground. About you would fill him with so much love that he doesn't even know how that's possible. And that he would function and speak and do all that he does by the empowering presence and through your, your love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you've got any parenting coach tip you want to give him, <laughs> I'm sure he's very open to it. Okay, I'd like to have uh, Pastor Randy come forward. Good morning. Nice to be with you again. Claire and I had the privilege of um, officiating at the wedding for one of our young couples, Andrew and Nikki Wong. And uh, that was on Friday night and a a great joy to us. It was a beautiful wedding and um, yeah, that was fun. A couple of months ago, we started the current series that we're in called Avoiding the Fiscal Cliff. And our, our goal has been to help us as followers of Jesus to have a better understanding of God's ways as they pertain to money and finance. One of the passages that we have looked at in this series is from 2 Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul describes the outcome that he intends for us as his followers 
when we're living according to his ways and his economy in the areas of money and finance. Uh, chapters 8 and 9 of uh, first, Second Corinthians are, are full of training and equipping in this arena of finances, and I would highly encourage you to spend some time there. We're going to highlight just a few of the verses in chapter 9. Verse 8 highlights what God will do, what God's part is, so to speak, when our finances are in order according to his ways. And then verses 9 through 11, which we're going to spend a few weeks talking through, talk about four different uses for money. The language that's there is farming language, and we might not automatically think or see in them financial, uh, but I would suggest, as I will suggest, that there are and that we can learn from them. I want to read first uh, that passage, and I want to read it out of the Amplified. I don't usually use uh, the Amplified or the message, though Clara personally really appreciates the message. Um, But I find that the Amplified in this particular time uh, just really was very pointed in how it languished this text. So that should be up on the screen for us. And God is able to make all grace come to you in accord in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be self-sufficient possessing enough to require no aid or support and furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation as it is written he the benevolent person scatters abroad he gives to the poor His deeds of justice and goodness and kindness and benevolence will go on and endure forever. And God, who provides seed for the sower and bread for eating, will also provide and multiply your resources for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness, which manifests itself in active goodness, kindness, and charity. Thus you will be enriched in all things and in every way so that you can be generous and your generosity will bring forth thanksgiving to God. And notice with me the superlatives that Paul uses here. And I've got them highlighted on the next few slides. The first one he talks speaks of is all grace, highlighted there. Then he says, in abundance then that you may always and under all circumstances. Then he highlights whatever the need, furnished in abundance, every good work, and then in the next section, enriched in all things and in every way. Wow. I'm just, I mean, like, I'm just kind of a little blown away by that. When Claire and I work with people in communication skills or marital coaching, we, we always say that they should not use the superlatives like never. You never take out the trash. We encourage them not to use the word always. You're always rude. And we even suggest maybe not all because... All you ever think about is yourself. And those really tend not to be true. I mean, there are a few people in the world who may always be rude, but I'm only rude occasionally. 
Some of you may be those that are always not rude. I don't know. However, when God uses superlatives, they're not only okay, they're awesome. Because they represent truth of his desire for what our lives should be like. He wants these things, all those superlatives, all grace, in abundance, always, under all circumstances, whatever the need, furnished in abundance, every good work. He wants that to be true. Verses 10 and 11 are the two verses that highlight these four biblical uses for money that we're going to be talking about over these next few weeks. And then we'll be done with this series. Verses 10 starts out, God who provides seed for the sower and bread for eating will also provide and multiply your resources for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness, which manifests itself in active goodness, kindness, and charity. The first uh, picture that or words that he uses to describe these uses of money is seed for the sower. Seed for the sower. And this represents the tithe. This is the 10% of the revenue that comes into our home that's holy to be set apart for God and his purposes through the local church. Secondly, Paul speaks of bread for eating. What do you think that's about? That's about the sustenance that we need for our household. Then Paul goes on in these kind of words that talk about lots. Multiplication of resources for sowing. And we're going to talk about, relative to that, the investment for kingdom purposes. It will have two aspects. The first is the principle of learning to live within our means. We're calling that the closed circle. Some call it a budget. It's fine. We're calling it a closed circle because the goal is to learn to live within our means, which is a challenge for most Americans. doesn't matter how much. It struggles to keep it in. And then, of course, the secondary aspect of that, the multiplication of resources, has to do with the surplus, which we've touched on in this series, being used to uh, invest, so to speak, in God's kingdom purposes. And we'll, we'll, we'll get there uh, next week. We're going to be moving into a little bit of that. And then finally, Paul speaks of increasing fruits of righteousness. And, and this is sort of the over-the-top aspect of what he's looking for us, what to, is to be a part of our lives of generous giving. And as we go through this and as we think about this text, please feel free to go back to its context and you'll see that this passage is a part of Paul initiating a conversation with this church about giving to the needs of others. It's, it's clear that it has to do with that. But he gives tremendous principles here that I think could be helpful to us. He's talking about money in this fruits of righteousness as money for righteous purposes in contrast to money being used in unrighteous purposes. All right, before we head into uh, Seed for Sower this morning, let's pray. Papa, we, we want 
both to understand your ways and learn to live according to them. I'm confident that we want the things that you want. We just are caught sometimes in systems and patterns and habits, ways of thinking, ways of living that just aren't your ways. And your word highlights that on numerous occasions. So as we reflect on this uh, passage and these farming terms, I ask in Jesus' name that you would convert them into our understandings related to your ways regarding finance. And that we could uh, walk from here in the next few weeks with uh, tools, uh, application for how to engage uh, ourselves, uh, the resources that come into our hands, and uh, fulfilling, seeing these incredible things that you desire for us to be fulfilled in our lives. So come Holy Spirit this morning as we consider these things and for our guests that are here, might you uh, meet them today. Might they uh, draw closer to you, understanding your heart for them. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to talk this morning about seed for the sower. Now, put on your farming agricultural hat for just a minute. Um, historically, for many kinds of crops, like, say, wheat and corn, a portion of every harvest was set aside as seed for the next planting. As you can imagine, if a farmer used a portion of the harvest for their household, which they do, typically or historically, and then sold all the rest, when it came time to plant, they wouldn't have any. Right? Real makes a lot of sense. So God, Paul, in this application, and God through him is saying, you know what, gang? You need to implement this same thing in my economy. Just as farmers need seed for sowing, so God has implemented an economic mechanism that asks us, requires us, to set aside 10% of our revenue as seed that's given or sown back to God, our master, for whom we are a steward of the resources that he has put in our care. Now, always keep in mind when we're in this series that we have laid the foundation of talking about two different economic systems that are operative in our world. The first is the one we are by far the most familiar with and the one we see all the time and hear about all the time. That's the world's economic system. And we've said that it is under the thumb, the power and ways of Satan, and that its primary operation is on the basis of selling and buying. But we've contrasted that with God's economic system, which we would say and understand as being under the power and ways of God, but it operates rather than selling and buying on the basis of giving and receiving. Now, I was uh, reviewing yesterday some notes from Mariana Dennelly, who taught this material uh, four years ago when we, when we did it then. And she highlighted something that I hadn't thought about that I thought was kind of interesting. If we were to think about our role in these two economic systems, we would typically think in the world's economic system, we would use the word that we're a consumer, right? 
good old economic word, we're a consumer. We consume. Buying and selling is about consumerism. God's ways, in God's economy, what's our role? And she suggested we're a sower. We're a farmer. Our, our role is to sow. And I think that, again, we, if, if we could begin to just recognize the differences of these economies, as you go to spend money, as you go to give money, you're going to begin to recognize some of the contrasts and some of what's going on inside of you. So this idea of being a consumer sometimes flows over into the church in a very poor and negative way. And I'm not going to teach about that, but I think we understand how it could happen that someone could come to a church and, and become a consumer. But what we need to think about is that in God's economy, we as his followers are designed primarily to be sowers. It has to do with our design of being creative. Um, I think God would want many Christians to have businesses so that they have that as a resource. But again, not going to go all out there today. Just think about that as we think about these two economic systems. Thirdly, um, this aspect of money. And we laid it out very well uh, numerous weeks ago that money is created by humankind. It belongs to the world's economic system and it is the currency of the world's economic system. But when we take money from the world system and we give it to God through the local church, to ministries, to others who are in need, when we take the world's currency, we break the power and the connection of that money to the spirit of mammon and profane, profane it. We break this idea that money is our source, that I'm dependent upon money. One of the things we've said that the mammon spirit tries to do is, that, is to make us believe that we need more money if we're going to be okay. And that's a dependency on the spirit of mammon, not on God. And when we take take money from the world systems and we give it away, it changes currency. Claire and I years ago went to Great Britain. We've done it as well in Hungary a couple of times other places. We take our American money, we go to a foreign country, and we convert it into the currency of that country. So I would suggest that as money is the primary, it's not the only one, stocks, bonds, there's lots of ways we can talk about economics. I'm not an economics major, though I have a son-in-law who was. Um, But as there is a currency in the economy of the world, I'm going to suggest, God made this up yesterday. Didn't find it in the Bible, didn't find it anywhere, but I was just reflecting and thinking. So what's the currency in God's economy? I came up with the word grace. And we've talked a lot about grace. Grace is not getting what you don't deserve. That's mercy. We've suggested in studies and and long series on grace that grace is the empowering presence to do what he's called us to do and to be what he's called us to be. So as we take money, just play with me here for a minute, we take it from the world and we give it to God, it changes currency into grace and is activated to enable 
the empowerment and the carrying out of God's world, God's deeds. That seem right? I mean, it goes into it goes into the church's checking account. Let's be honest; it's money transfer, but we're saying that it's converted. And at that point, who's the owner now? Should be God. Shouldn't be the pastors or the board. That money's God's. It's been converted to grace, and everything it then does should bring empowerment and advancement to God's kingdom. I like it. Maybe made up in fantasy, but it's a pretty good fantasy. So, money, we said, was designed by humankind for buying and selling, for exchanging currency for something of equal value. We, we take five bucks over here at the corner store, and I buy a bag of ice and a Diet Dr. Pepper. And she gives me five cents back or ten cents or something like that. Equal, equal value. We just made an exchange. Okay? But when we give money with no expectation of receiving something in equal value, it has the opportunity to convert to grace. And there is blessing. That grace is blessing that comes from it. When we tithe and give money to others, the mammon spirit is going to try and tell us that we now have diminished purchasing power. Consumer. You give 10% away, you have 10% less cash, and now you can't make ends meet. Consumerism, the mechanisms of the economy of the world. However, if, if we are converting money to grace, we said last time I taught, we talked about God's interest rate. 30, 60, and hundredfold. We talked, I gave you numbers for that last time. What would $5,000 be if it, was, if it was 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold? I don't have those here, but it's huge. The, 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 those stewards who invested the master's money in the parables we touched on were given charge over cities. God's economy is not limited. The resources are not few. They are abundant. They are all-encompassing. All of those words we used and talked about earlier. When we take and give, God multiplies that grace, enabling us and those we have transported it to or converted and given it to. He has enabled us to live according to God's kingdom while living in and operating in the world. In the world, but not of it. We've got to handle money. We are a part of the economy where we buy and sell. We, give, we get paid for our work done. We are in the world. But we don't have to be of it. And how we work that all out in practicalities is a little odd. Most of us just don't hardly deal with that. I don't hardly deal with it. But this is one of those places where God is inviting us to live according to his ways, his economy, to break the power of of the mammon spirit in our lives and to provide all that stuff that Paul described in those first few verses in 2 Corinthians. So the first priority for the use of money is seed for the sower, to give to God the tithe. 10% of our revenue that comes into our home is holy, to be set apart for God and his purposes through the local church. For most of us, this principle of tithing 
I know is fairly familiar. We've heard it throughout our lives within the church. I'm going to highlight a few of these with hopefully just a little bit of clarification as we think about it related to economy. Firstly, where does this idea of tithing come from? Did some pastor just who was, wasn't making it, some one time made it up and thought this would be a good idea. We'll say that God says your first 10% needs to go to the church. No, came uh, and started a long time before that. In the Old Testament, God gave laws and instructions to his people on how to live. And when we read through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all of those books that are uh, speaking about and giving those instructions, we see that there's instructions there about almost every aspect of life. Government, commerce, relationships, religion, all aspects of life. And one of the directives for life that God gave to his people was this idea of the, of the tithe or what we're sort of calling seed for the sower. Leviticus 27, 30 and 31. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees or from herds and flocks, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Tithing is described in numerous times and ways throughout the Old Testament. It is less described in the New Testament. Jesus on one occasion refers to the tithe and essentially says that it is to be upheld, although we understand that there are people who would suggest that that isn't what it's saying. Here's the passage from Matthew 23, 23. Speaking to religious leaders and the way they were managing money, the way the economy they were using, what sorrow awaits you teachers of righteous law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Jesus' references to money numerous times is this little thing. And here, I think, he is speaking of the tithe as a little thing and is pointing to the aspects of justice, love, care for others um, as the really important things. That tithe stuff, that's baby stuff. That's herbs and ruse and you, we just get it, just get it done. And, and what we really need to be worrying about and focusing on is how are our relationships going? How well are we impacting our world with the kingdom of God? Let's, let's get past that little thing. Hebrews writer speaks of beginning things and early things and, and growing up. But that, that's a take that I've got on that a little bit. So I, I would suggest that the tithe comes from God's directives to his people. It's an element of his economic system. It's a part of that system. So what is the tithe? Moses presents the tithe in Deuteronomy. He says, you must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, firstborn males of your flocks and herds. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives 
Now the place of your, I'm sorry, now the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored might be a long way from your home. If so, you may sell the tithe portion of your crops and herds and take the money to the place the Lord your God chooses. So, again, the idea of converting into a, another currency to be able to accomplish grace is okay. We don't work with cows and herds and herbs and wheat too much anymore. Although I, my uh, new son-in-law's father is a farmer who does wheat and cotton and all that stuff. Um, sometimes when people talk about tithing in the, ter- in the church, they equate tithing simply with giving. Now bring your tithes and offerings. Tithe means bring your gifts. It's cool. But the word means tenth. It doesn't, talk, it doesn't mean a tenth of money. The word tithe means, when it says bring your tithe, it says bring your tenth. Bring your ten percent. That's what it's saying in the original language. In Old Testament times, people, as we've suggested, were primarily farmers, ranchers. What they produced or earned was produce and livestock. And what God asked of his people was for them to give or return to him, to invest, to sow, that first ten percent of all they earn, whether produce or livestock. In our day and age, we don't earn through that means. We are paid in money. And for us, then, the tithe, 10%, would be that revenue that comes into our home. Not going to go down the path of net and gross. We do have that conversation. Uh, Happy to help you with that. But it's 10% of that which comes into your home and is to be given to God. All right, number three, what's the purpose of the tithe? In this uh, series, think, since we're talking about economy and the, the aspects of living in God's economy, one of the things that we are wrestling with is the question of where am I related to who is my source? Who or what is my source? We've talked about the dependency that we can have on money or our investments, our bank accounts. We, we've talked about the uh, emotional heart we attach to our work. Uh, my own challenge of thinking, you know, if I lose my job, then I'm going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be really challenging. Uh, but that's a, that is a dependency upon money and upon the world's economic systems rather than a conclusion that God is my source. Secondly, another question that's being highlighted here is what's first in my life or who is first in my life? And those are two primary questions that we need to wrestle with when we think about these two economies and learning to live according to God's ways. Most of the fears and concerns we have about money are because we don't trust God. We're trusting in money. Deuteronomy 14.23, what's the purpose of the tithe? Deuteronomy 14.23, the purpose on our side of the tithe is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. The tithe could be described as a, a curriculum, a training program for learning to put God first in our lives. Who is our source? What are we trusting in? And God said, here, let me just give you a curriculum. You get this one down, it's a little thing. After that, more will be given to you. That's the message of Jesus related to money. Get this little thing down, get it pat, get past that, and then we'll go on to the big things. Number four, are we to give God the first or last part of our income? Malachi chapter 1, you should read through the whole book of Malachi. It's five chapters, you could read it in ten minutes probably. 
You should read through that at some point in time. Um, the, it's the last book of the Old Testament, and um, they get 200 years or 400, 600, I don't know what that, what's it, 500? 400 years of, uh, they don't hear from God again. And the last thing that God said to them was, you're robbing me. <laughs> and then he was quiet. <laughs> I thought that's interesting. But anyway, chapter 1 of Malachi, there's just a whole lot there. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I would have liked to have. But essentially, the author is quoting God as being very disappointed with how people were handling the economy, their tithes and offerings. And they were bringing, uh, they were agricultural, they were bringing weak and infirmed animals from their flocks and herds and offering them to God. Hey, can't sell this in the meat market, so I'll give it at church. Sounds good to me. Yeah, it's going to die. Here, let's just give it to God. Really? God says, no. <laughs> Listen to this, Malachi 1, 13 and 14. Stolen animals... Yeah, that's it. Wait, that guy's got two. Let me take one of them. I'll give that this Sunday. Stolen animals. I didn't write this. I'm just dramatizing it. Stolen animals, lame and sick as offerings to God. Should I accept such offerings as these, asks the Lord. Cursed is that man who promises a fine ram from his flock and substitutes a sick one to sacrifice to God. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be mightily revered among the Gentiles. Now, I have to be truthful. It's been a while since anyone from our church put in a cow in the offering that had a broken leg. Although, I think back in the early days of planting the church, Claire and I were brought to us were people's produce from their little gardens. So if you have gardens or chickens and things like that, you're welcome to... No, 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 no. It goes to the church. You can bring them on Sunday. We'll get some baskets up here. We'll get the produce in here. Not a big deal. It's little things. But anyway, but something that is very common is for people simply to drop a five or a ten, maybe write a twenty-dollar check into the offering. And a question before all of us is: Are we giving God the best, or are we giving Him the leftovers? Are we giving God a dishonorable sacrifice? Now, I'm not saying that if five or ten bucks is, is your tithe and what you and God have resolved, it's what he's good with, then you know that's between you and him. The text says tithe. Um, and the, the trouble is, is that if we are minimizing this whole thing, we have to wrestle what is first and who and what am I trusting in. When we give what we will never miss or what is less than significant, are we evidencing our trust in God or our trust in our money? A great story just to remind you of the widow at the temple. Jesus and his disciples are sitting back, kicking back. It's hot middle of the day. They're hanging out. And they're watching people come and go to the treasury. Some people are coming in and they've got trumpets blasting and blaring and they open up their little treasure boxes and they put their money and give it in there. And wow, it's, it's quite a performance around here. And then this little old lady, her little cane, you know, wobbling up there. And she opens up her purse, little purse pocket, and she does this with it. And out come two of the smallest coins made. And she takes that and she puts it into the treasury. 
And Jesus stands up and says, look, guys, look at this lady. Did you see what she just did? Who's she trusting in? She gave everything she had. The disciples said that was foolishness. They did. Her trust was in God. Claire and I have speculated. We don't know the end of that story. I wouldn't be surprised if she got brought into one of the disciples' homes. She was a widow. My guess is that it just didn't go undone. I don't know. I don't know if they became the answer to that prayer of hers or not. But I know that God took care of that woman. I'm just confident. Jesus couldn't have demonstrated that and seen that. So when we put in what, we, what is easy, are we not simply saying, I, I may not have enough, so I, I can only really put in a little? And would we be, according to Malachi, robbing God? Similarly that they were? Are we being dishonorable? The tithe is to be the first or best part of our income. Where are we to give the tithe? Now, I've I've read this passage earlier. I'm going to read it again. In the Old Testament, God's people were instructed to give their tithes and offerings to one central location. Do not worship the Lord your God in the way these pagan peoples worship their gods. Rather, you must seek the Lord your God at the place he himself will choose from among all the tribes for his name to be honored. There you will bring the Lord your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your special gifts, your offerings, a fulfill a vow, your free will offerings, your offerings of the firstborn animals of your flocks and herds. It was common practice among the various peoples of that day to have multiple places to sacrifice and worship their gods. At times, because of the idea of uh, having multiple gods, different places for different gods, they were polytheistic. The Jews, however, were monotheistic. They were to worship Yahweh alone, the one and only God, and they were instructed to bring their tithes and offerings to one place, the temple, a central location in their nation that that was identified by God. Malachi, again, God speaking, says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. In Christianity, we, of course, worship the one triune God, but there is not one designated place for all Christians to worship, or at least not until we get to heaven. But just as the Jews... Uh, we're not to go from place to place to worship God. So I believe it's best if we as Christians have a place of worship, a family, a community where we receive uh, training and ministry and where we give service. It's not a problem to visit other churches. It's fine to go attend conferences and training events. But I believe that the Bible would teach and encourage us that what's best is to have a place of worship where we receive and give and where we have community. Family members that are all strung out all over the country are, are detached members. And God has called us to be family. And that family needs to be together. We need to meet together. And so I, I would suggest that the local church where we are plugged in is where our tithes should be given. 
<clears throat> this is one I added uh, yesterday. I was reflecting. I had six, and then uh, I don't like the number six. I like seven better. And, um, and so this one just sort of popped into my head um, because of one of the passages and kind of went, oh, yeah, right. So to whom does the tithe belong? In Malachi, God said to his people that they were robbing him. And the reason it's robbery is because the tithe belongs to God. Leviticus 27:30 again, I tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil, fruit from the trees, herds or flocks, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now, I know that when Claire and I first began tithing, which was not when we first got married, but when another pastor came and sat down with us, she, Claire has always tithed. But I managed to checkbook and didn't for a few years. She says, no, I'm remembering incorrectly. Whatever. I'll take this piece then and accept this one. All right, everybody. When I gave the tithe, I thought of it as me giving to God 10% of my money, our money. Can we, can we go with that one? That, that was my, what was in my head? That was my... Okay. I'll say it again. Any of you think about this one. When you give... Your tithe to the church. Are you giving your money? Is that the way you think about it? No, it's God's. But how are we thinking about it? We're thinking about it. Oh, well, that's I now have 10% less money to live on. Well, you can only say that if you think it's all yours. The reality is that all of it's God's, according to Scripture. And we're to be a faithful steward of all of it. But he has designated that first 10% as something special, something holy. Seed for the sower. The word holy means to be set apart for special use. The tithe, the first 10% of our income, is God's and it's holy. And it's to be set apart for special use to be brought to the local church. We have an obligation to guard and protect the tithe and see that it gets to its destination. I was thinking about Brink's truck, armored trucks that move money around, sometimes from the bank to a a business, sometimes from a business to the bank. A Brink's driver does not own the money that they transport. It's someone else's money. It is dedicated for a certain purpose. And it is not for their use, right? They have an obligation to get that money from one location to its destination. And if they were to take even a portion of it and use it for themselves, that would be a criminal offense and punishable, right? Because they would be stealing. They would be robbing. And I would suggest in a similar way, consider it, think about it, that we too have an obligation to guard and protect that which is not ours. To protect the tithe that's coming from our employer, passing through our checking account by direct deposit in most cases, that it gets to the local church. And that if we were to thwart that process, God would suggest that that we're robbing. His words, not mine. The tithe belongs to God, and it's holy. Last point. 
It's always better at the end. What's God's promise to us if we tithe? The people of Israel, like many of us today, struggled to trust God to meet their needs. So they withheld giving the full amount of the tithe. Read through the book of Malachi. Chapter 3. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. Turn and return to me, God says. But you say, how shall we return? God speaking. Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you? God says, in your tithes and offerings. As a result, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. You know, in our case, I think things happen. You know, sometimes maybe the pastor's a little off that year. Maybe the worship team is kind of so-so. Or for just some reason, we just say, nah, we're just not going to give anymore here. Or in part. And God's response would probably be, you're robbing me. You're not robbing me. You're robbing God. And he suggests that you are bringing upon yourself a curse. You have been cursed with a curse. And if you go on and read the whole passage, there'll be clarity there for you. But after that declaration, he says, but if you will repent, if you will change your mind, if you will bring the full tithe into the storehouse, see if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I will rebuke the locust for you so that it will not destroy the produce of your soil and your vine in the field shall not be barren. Then all nations will count you happy for you will be a land of delight. God's design, God's heart, God's intention is fruitfulness and blessing. God is the God of more than enough. The spirit of mammon is the God, little g, of not enough. I need more. And God says, if you will tithe, I will abundantly bless you and extend special protection over your earnings. And honestly, that is Clara's and my testimony and the testimony of many here in our church. Seed for the sower, the tithe, 10%, a little thing, Jesus says is something that we need to resolve in our hearts and minds to align to the economy of God so that the blessing of God, the provision of God, the multiplication of resources of God to us so that then there would be abundance, always enough for all circumstances and whatever the need. That's the plan of God. I've said this sort of nonchalantly many times since pastoring this church with Clara. Social Security system and Medicare are wonderful. But it's not the plan of God. The plan of God is for 
the people of God to supply for the widows and orphans. This idea, this thing that uh, we, that numerous of our family members here at the church are doing of bringing in the orphan to their homes is absolutely a powerful expression of the economy of God's kingdom. That's the kind of thing in other kinds of ways. It doesn't always have to look like that, but it's the kind of thing giving to someone who does not have a home, clothes, and education is a beautiful expression of the economy of God. I would encourage you this morning, I would encourage you this week to wrestle with these ideas. God, is my money really yours? Is my heart really yours? Is there some space here for repentance on my part? Can we get uh, Ben or Jim? Can we get some music on? Oh, there you are. Yes. Sure. This is Daniel. You live. My name is Daniel, and um, I'm actually Randy's uh, son-in-law, but I rarely talk up here. Um, Tithing is, with my wife and I, since we first got married 11 years ago, next week, um, we've always, we've believed in tithing. I saw my parents do it, she saw her parents do it, and we saw God come through for both our parents and our families numerous times. And so we never thought about it, and so we just always gave. And, and like Randy said, you know, that spirit of there's not going to be enough, there's not... And when we first got married, there wasn't always enough. <laughs> and but we just kept giving it because that was the first thing we did and then we made we ate hot dogs. <laughs> and but we lived. Um over 10 years, if I consider how much I made and I know how much I made every year, um and you put that or 11 years and you times that, that's less than $50,000 in total tithe. We've given. I just know it. Last year, a year and a half ago, um, God blessed us with a house. And in one full swoop, mm-hmm. God gave back more to us That's interesting. than we've given in 11 years. Um, he gave it, If you don't know it, we won a lottery system for a house because I'm a teacher and I got a house for half price. Well, in a year and a half, that half price all comes back to us, and it's about fifty-five or sixty thousand. It's about fifty-five thousand dollars. And in one full swoop, God did that. And that's one itty bitty, teeny weeny thing that God has done in our eleven years. If I actually sat down and tallied it up, I'm a math teacher, and I got numbers in my head, and I remember these numbers. God has done over, and I'm not guaranteeing God's going to do anything. I just want to tell you that if you are faithful, and this is one thing my wife and I are faithful in, but there's a lot of things probably not, but <laughs> for some reason this one stuck. But it is clean over 130000 and I have no doubt about that one. I mean, we have an adoption coming up, and it's almost all paid for. So, anyway, God is... This is true. Um, 
and we've seen it, and you guys have seen it. And my encouragement, my testimony is, don't give just because you expect God's going to bless you. If you do it that way, you're missing it. Um, if you're going to give, it's His. Just let Him have it, and then just be sure, just understand that He's going to help you, or He's going to do whatever He needs to do to protect you, because you are His family. And I do not know one parent that's going to let their kids starve to death. So, thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Daughter number one, son-in-law number three. He's number one. He got married first, so he's, he's son-in-law number one. Um, I've been, because of Jack's, I've been missing part of the series, like get a sermon here, half a sermon here, miss a whole other one or another half over here. But I've been just kind of gleaning what I've been in in the room for. And I was just mulling over some of what we've been talking about, and sometimes... The, the clearest that I've heard God in my life is just this little thought that comes through in a moment when I'm quiet and still, and I just know in my heart that it's him. And it seems like half the time when I sit down and actually pray for a word from God, I never hear it. But these little moments come through. This is one of those little moments that just came through. And what I heard was, all my money is yours. Hmm. And I want to I stand up here because this is like a dividing, this thing is like a dividing line. And this is how I generally think about uh, our income is that over here is me and my family, and this is my money, and all my money, my money belongs to God. Oh, crap. That means, <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't say it up here. That means um, that thing that I want to buy, I can't buy it because I really should give that money away, or I should give it to the church, or I should find some other charity to give it to. Like, I can't just buy that thing that I want or multiple of those things that I want because it's not my money. Doggone it. And what I heard the Lord say is the richest person on earth that you could possibly think of, and he is way richer than that person, says, all my money is yours. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to use it? Who are you going to bless with it? Where are you going to invest it? And it just, it just hit me. It's the same words, right? And it's the same concept, but it just did something different in my head from all my money is yours to all my money and all my resources and everything that I have is yours. And so do you want to buy that thing? Or do you want to do something different with it? Because all of this is yours to give. And all of this is yours to use. And the tithe is just a piece of that. So. Let's pray. Papa, we just uh, thank you for your economy. <laughs> we thank you for your ways that are not like our ways. That you said to Adam and Eve in the garden, it's all yours except this one little bit. And essentially you say that to us today. It's all yours except this little thing. So I welcome you, Holy Spirit, for uh, all of us to find the ability to make this a little thing, to get it behind us, to get it done, and to move on to the bigger things. Grace us, Father. Teach us about more and more and more about your economy and how to live in your kingdom while living and walking on the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Jim, now we have some music. I want to thank you each for coming this morning.
and uh, making time out of your schedule to join us. Uh, we hope that you have experienced the nearness of God during our time together. And this concludes our service time here, this portion. Um, we're, gonna, we're starting to do something a little different. Uh, the speaker, we're, I'm a part of a teaching team, and each time one of the speakers is going to um, go ahead and go out towards the lobby area to the tables out there, and uh, you would have an opportunity to talk with us, interact with us, if you would have interest for that. If you're needing personal prayer and would like one of our prayer folks to pray with you, um, it can be related to this topic. It can be about something, that a burden you're carrying, whatever. We're going to have folks over here on this, on your right-hand side wall where the cross is, is where we'll have folks to extend personal prayer to you if you have interest for that. So if some of those who would give that prayer would head that way, that would be great. Please do remember, pick up your kids. They are looking forward to lunch and to being with you again. So do that. And I'm going to close now with a blessing from the very scripture that we used this morning as our text. May God make all grace come to you in abundance so that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be fully sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support, and furnished in abundance, furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. In the name of Jesus. See you next week. Bring a friend. You're the God of this city, you're the king.